Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week, we heard from special guest missionary Josh Bell. Please join us in Acts 21, 10 through 14. Thank you, Pastor, for the invitation to be here. Thank you, church, for being a people of God who uh, find it important, vitally important, to spread the gospel among the nations around the world. And without churches like you, missionaries like myself would have a hard time doing what God has called us to do. We would have a hard time being obedient. As the pastor said, my name is Joshua Bell. This is my wife, Ashley, if you'll stand, honey. We have three kids. Evan is my, my only son, my only begotten. And he's, uh, he's 10 years old, and Audrey is next. She is eight. And then Daphne, our little baby, is 18 months. And no, she was not a surprise. It was, she was all in the plan, but uh, we just waited for seven years for, for, for that to happen. My wife and I have served in ministry for nearly 20 years in all aspects of ministry, uh, spending the majority of our time uh, being an associate pastor and worship pastor in, in churches. Uh, we are from Arkansas, just outside of Little Rock, and... Um, that's where we were born and raised in a town called Jacksonville, Arkansas. The Little Rock Air Force Base is there. Our home church is in a little town called Valonia, Arkansas, V-I-L-O-N-I-A. And um, it is a little bedroom community uh, off of Conway, Arkansas, which has several universities. Uh, we had the pleasure of coming into um, independent Baptist life uh, 11 years ago, and that's when God began to, to prick our hearts and call us to the field of London. And as I said in the Sunday school hour, <clears throat> many people ask us, well, how did you make that choice? How did you know London was where God would have you? And it's kind of like, I have to describe, like, describe it like this. It's kind of like falling in love. You don't know why it happened. It just happens. And that's, God grew a passion and a zeal and a love for all things English and directed our hearts to London eventually. And, but the most important thing, what I said was, it matters a lot less about the place you go or the thing that you do. What, what matters most is simply being obedient. And is that the, that's your theme. You know, I didn't know that before I came, but that, that's kind of the theme of my life is just being obedient to the Lord. And everything else will kind of work itself out. Most English people, if you ask them, are you a Christian or is this a Christian nation, they would say, yes, absolutely. And they would probably be offended that you would even ask them the question. But England, Great Britain, is not a Christian nation. It is not a Christian nation. Although there is no separation of church and state between the Church of England and England, there is no, um, it is not a Christian nation whatsoever. London has an enormous amount of unreached people groups uh, living and representing those groups from all over the world in London. Less than 3% of around 13 million people attend church regularly. Islam is the fastest growing religion and will eclipse Christianity in England within 20 years. 20 years. It's a staggering thing. And we plan to change London, to bridge the gap between Christ and those that need to know Christ. We, We plan to bridge London with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way, the only way that we can reach people with the gospel is to proclaim it and to establish local Bible-believing churches that will proclaim and teach the gospel. And that's what we're about. 
If you weren't in the Sunday school hour and you want to find out more about us or you want to watch the video again, you can go to bridginglondon.org. That is on the back of this handy-dandy prayer card. I have a bunch of them on me. There's a lot back on the table. Please go by and grab one and pray for us. And all of our information, uh, including our website, is on here. You can go through and dig through uh, all the things that we're going to be doing and pictures and so forth and so on. Three things I would ask you to do. I ask you to consider is pray for us, support us, and go with us. And uh, if you ask me which is the most important, I wouldn't be able to tell you because they're all vitally important. And we cannot do what we do without people who pray, people who support, and people who go with us. I'll say this one last thing before I dig into the sermon this morning. If you're in high school or college and you'd love to do an internship in London, England for a month or for three months or for a year, would you start praying about that, get in contact with me? Because we are going, I'm going to be developing a, an outstanding internship program, not only to bring people from here to get them charged up about missions, but also for our uh, British young people who we uh, see saved and grow up in the ministry for, the, for a place for them to plug in and learn about the ministry of Jesus Christ. If I haven't said hello to you, it's not because I haven't tried. We want to visit with you. We look forward to hanging out this afternoon. Can't wait for that. Please come by with questions or whatever you have, have for us. We want to meet you. We, we are people, people. <laughs> and that's who we are. Okay, as Pastor said, we're going to be in Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. I want to start with a, uh, a harrowing story. And it's personal. And it's hard for me to share because it was very scary. When I was growing up, we would uh, always go up to my granddad's cabin up on a lake called Greer's Ferry up in north central Arkansas. And we didn't have much money. My dad was a, a cop by week and a paramedic by weekend. And, you know, they don't pay civil servants very, very well. So we didn't have money to go to lots of places. So, but we went to my granddad's cabin all the time. Every time we could go, we would pack up and go. Well, we always had work to do. If we were going to use the cabin, we had to do work. And one day, it was my job to go out and clean the, the old shed. Okay. Uh, I think I was around my son's age, 10 years old. And I go out there, and I'm sweeping, and, you know, dust is everywhere. Uh, I'm cleaning stuff up. I'm moving boxes. And all of a sudden, I pick up a box like this speaker, and I move it over, and to my horror, I disturbed a family of rats who had taken up residency in this shed. Now, how many of you don't even need to hear the rest of the story? You're already totally with me and totally messed up, okay? Well, I guess I picked the wrong day to mess with this family of rats, and this mama rat was not happy with me, and she starts coming at me, and I... And I'm backing up, and as I back up, I realize I'm not backing up to the door, I'm backing up to the back wall, and I'm trapped now. And, you know, I don't know if they had planned in advance, you know, if someone invades their space, this is what we do, you're here, you're here, you're here, swarm, but that's what they, they, they did. And all of a sudden, I realize I'm, I, to them, am in, am in attack position. I have a broom in my hand and something else, and they think it's go time, right? And so... To my other horror, they start coming at me and start crawling up my legs, trying to get up my pants leg. And I'm a big guy. I've always been a big guy, but I screamed like a little girl. 
And I'm like, you know, I'm fighting them off and I'm screaming and, and, and nobody's hearing me, you know, and I'm screaming so loud. I mean, I'm just hollering so loud. In fact, I scream so loud that I wake myself up. Don't you hate nightmares? My whole childhood, that was my reoccurring nightmare. That and falling off of high places. And why do we have nightmares? Why do we have those bad dreams? You know, one of my biggest fears these days is I come up to the platform in my dream and I don't have any of my stuff and I'm late. I mean, I, I, that's my fear. I wake up in like cold sweats at night having those dreams. But you know, we have those dreams. Mostly, be, we, we, we dream about the things we fear most. And you know, fear can be a good thing. I mean, I tell my kids, don't touch the stove. Why? Because it'll burn you. You know, don't play in the busy street because someone will hit you, okay? Um, you know, how many of you have had taken a gun safety course, okay? You do that because you want to be respectful and fearful of the, of the weapon you're using and not misuse it for fear that someone would get hurt. So there's a lot of fears in our life that are great, that are good, that are helpful. But I want to focus today on how fear can be the fiercest enemy, the worst enemy of the gospel in your life. It can be the, the, the worst enemy in proclaiming the gospel and in doing what God would have you to do. Fear can interfere. It can be crippling. It will be murderous to the plans that God has for you if you let the fears in your life control you and dominate you. For years, I let the fear of stepping out in missions and thinking about what would my in-laws say when I tell them I'm about to take their babies across the world? What would my parents say when I tell them we're leaving? How would I support my family on deputation? Because let me tell you something. When, you're, when you go on deputation, this is what happens. You quit your job one day and you literally step out off the cliff and, and you just hope God catches you because you go from having an income to not. And you, and you are worried about that. How am I going to provide for my family? How am I going to be a good father? And all and on and on and on and on. I will say that my biggest fear was actually talking to my wife's parents. <laughs> I mean, we wrote a letter and said, here, can you read this? And then we'll talk. <laughs> no joke, because I was, we, were, we were afraid of what was going to be said. And you know, on and on we battled with the call and the fear and, you know, if you'll let it, fear will keep you from doing the ministry of God. Sometimes the, the work of fear is internal. I would say most of the times that fear is eternal, in, internal. And a lot of times that fear comes from without. You know, I was afraid of what my in-laws would say, and then they were sharing me a lot of their fears about what you're doing, what are we doing. And when we look at Acts 21, we find Paul under that kind of pressure, that outside pressure of fear. Now, let me give you some, some setup for Acts 21, verse 10. Paul had just traveled from Tyre, and he finally reached Ptolemais. And then he moved on and reached Caesarea, and he stayed at the home of Philip, who was an evangelist. And he stayed there many days, and during that time, he got a really interesting visit from a prophet named Agabus. And this prophet had a very sobering message to deliver to Paul, 
And he said, if Paul went on to Jerusalem, which is what God had called him to do, he said, Paul, you will be imprisoned. And his friends begged him to stay and begged him to escape that fate. And their fear about what would happen to Paul in Jerusalem was pressing upon Paul severely. So what was he going to do? Well, let's look at our passage this morning. Starting in verse 10. It says, And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle, his belt, and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, we both... Uh, and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we cease saying, The will of the Lord be done. Let's pray. Dear God, would you bless the reading of your word this morning? Would you uh, speak through me as we look at your word, and may you allow us to help us overcome fears and to learn what it can do. And Lord, may at the end of all of this, your name be praised, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you set out to do what God has called you to do, we will face our fears, and we'll probably face the fears of those who love us the most. It could be that God wants you to give money to missions. It could be that he wants you to uh, share the love of Jesus Christ with your unbelieving parents or your neighbors. It could mean that God wants you to pack up everything and start a new ministry or to move to the foreign field. But God has called all of us to do something. And when he calls us, fear can interfere with those plans. And in the light of God's call, Every believer can conquer fear by remembering these three exhortations. And the first one is this. Don't just trust on man's understanding. Trust not on man's understanding. Okay? In verses 10 through 12, the scene is set up. Paul says where he's come from, where he stayed, and who came to visit at this uh, gathering. Now, the prophet Agabus demonstrates to Paul, that if he continues on his journey, he's going to find hardship. Now, I don't know about you, but if a man came up to me at a, at a gathering and pulled my belt off and did a demonstration, that'd be a little bit weird. But it, it would get your attention, and that's what happened. It got everybody's attention in that room, not just Paul's. Now, when his friends heard this prophecy, now remember, Luke is writing, and when he says we, he is saying himself. He's part of the party that is speaking to Paul. They didn't want him to go. They begged him to stay. They based their opinion on the fact that they were told of unfavorable circumstances that would face him in Jerusalem. Now, their opinion was fueled by their fear. If they didn't love him, they wouldn't care about him, and they wouldn't be afraid for him. But because of that fear, they came up with an opinion on that, hey, you shouldn't go. Now, here is something that every Christian deals with. We think 
that God is only and ever calling us to do something that sounds perfect. Now, let's get real for a minute. How many of you have ever taken a job because it was more money, you could get a bigger house, they're going to give you a car, they're going to give you insurance, on and on and on. You're like, this is a perfect situation. And you took it and it was the worst decision you ever made. Anybody, would anybody admit to that? Hey, we have one brave soul. You know, a lot of times, and whether you raise your hand or not, I know that you believe this because this is human nature. We only want to do what sounds perfect. Okay? Everything's going to work out. And a lot of times, the idea of something being perfect, we replace and we think that that is God's will. So we'll say, it's perfect. It has to be God's will. Right? And so when they heard this negative, they said, well, it's not perfect. You shouldn't do it. It's going to work out wrong. Now, think about this. You remember old Paul and Silas, and they're in prison, and they're singing their songs, and all of a sudden, what happens? The ground shakes, and the bars open. Now, if you say you wouldn't have gotten up and left, you're lying. Every one of us would have seen those open doors and said, man, this is God. He has opened a way for me to escape this place, and all you'd see is the dust that our feet left. But what did they do? They stayed put. And as the jailer was about to kill himself, he said, fear not. We're still here. And what happened then? They go to this, this guy gets saved. They go to his house and it says the whole house comes to the Lord. If they had done the perfect thing, the thing that made sense to our human mind instead of obeying God, they had done the perfect thing and taken that as that had to be God's will, that man could have ended up spending eternity in hell. One other story. When David was on the run from Saul, he and his men uh, took up camp in a cave. And I'm telling you, they're sweaty, they're dirty, they've been running for their lives, they're just waiting for something good to happen, and then it does. And Saul comes in to basically use the restroom in this cave. And he doesn't know that David and his whole entire host are back in the shadows. And, his, and the men start telling David, God has delivered him up. <clears throat> Go and strike him down. And David, he's, he's, he's worked up with this, and he goes up, and he has a second thought, and he just cuts a little piece of the robe off. Saul walks out, and then he goes and confesses to Saul, I, I almost took your life, paraphrasing, I almost took your life, but it's not for me to take the life of God's anointed. Now, probably a hundred out of a hundred of us would have gone and rid ourselves of that danger. It didn't seem perfect for David to go and strike King Saul down and take the throne and live happily ever after. But that wasn't how God told him to do things. Even though it looked perfect, it wasn't perfect. Now I want to say this. The opposite is just as true. Just because things look terrible doesn't mean it's not God's will. I mean, didn't Jesus Christ himself humble himself? He came and he lived as a human being, a perfect life, knowing all the while he would die a horrifying death on the cross. He knew exactly that it wouldn't work out good for him, but it was the Father's will, and so he yielded to the Father's will, and now all mankind has the opportunity to be saved and live with him for eternity. And if he had chosen only the perfect route, only the route that made sense, we wouldn't even be here today. 
So when God has called you to do something, and smart people and your friends come and say, hey, man, this doesn't look really good. Have you thought about this? This doesn't make any sense. It doesn't sound very good. I don't, I don't think God's in it. You say, no, I know what God has called me to do. And I know it's scary, but I'm not going to let fear overtake me. I'm not going to let fear rule the day. You know, believers, we are left behind to do God's work. We are left behind to, to establish his church, not to live in isolation, not to live in a vacuum, but to live in community, to help each other. This person's gone through this. This person is just now going through it. They get together and they help each other, okay? And that's valuable, but not always is the advice of your loved one or your church member going to be the right thing. What They may care for you and your safety, but that is not as important as obeying God's will. And so when you have that fear come against you, when you're looking at doing, doing what God has called you to do, and somebody says, hey, this doesn't look like a good idea, always yield to God and not necessarily to man. Okay? Number, number, so first of all, trust not on man's understanding. Second of all, trust in God's call. Now, Paul says in verse 13, I love, I love what he says. He says, here's my paraphrase, what do you mean to break my heart? Why, why are you breaking my heart? Why are you doing this to me? He says, listen, guys, I don't care if they're going to arrest me. I'm willing to die for the cause of Jesus Christ. Nothing, nothing will change that. Nothing will change that. You know, the person that goes overseas to take the gospel, they care way less about their safety. I mean, they, we, we do care about it, but we care more about what would happen to us if we refuse to do what God would call us to do. We care more for what he, is, he wants us to be a part of. And that overcomes everything. <clears throat> when Paul's friends were begging him to stay, they were thinking in, in, in a self-serving manner. Stay. If you get arrested or killed, what will happen to the ministry? What will happen to us? We don't want to lose you. They wanted to keep him from death, but while, but while trying to keep him from death, they were killing him anyway. Has there ever anything... Has there ever been anything in your life that if you didn't do it, it would just kill you? I, I would say today, if there's not something in your life like that, pray for it. Pray for that passion. Pray for that calling. Uh, if you told me today that I could never travel or never serve in ministry again, you might as well just put me in the grave. Seriously, I mean, I, I would not be worth living around. I, I mean, because I'm so passionate about what God has called me to do. You want to know if God has called you to the foreign field? Ask yourself this question. And really, you can apply this to any ministry call at all. Is, can I stay and live? Can I not do it and be okay? You know, Paul says in Philippians 1, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So nothing can touch us on this earth. And so 
no fear should be allowed to meddle in our affairs. And maybe you're thinking, oh, well, he's just talking about the mission field or, or, or preaching. No. You know when you're at the cash register at Walmart and the Lord, you, you don't hear an audible voice, but you, the Lord's saying, you need to talk to this lady behind the counter about Jesus. And you say, no, I'm afraid of what she would say. I'm afraid of what the people behind me in line would say. What's happening is you're allowing fear to get in the way of what God has called all Christians to do, which is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, dying for the Lord's work is not just physical. It's also, and many more times, um, spiritual. We are to pick up our cross every day and die to ourselves, pick up our cross and live for him. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Death has swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? If death cannot touch us, no thing on this earth can touch us. And we forget that we serve an all-powerful God. We serve the same God who turned water into wine, who parted the sea, who rose from the dead. And then we fear these little penny-anny things that get in the way of what he wants to do in and through us. And that can't be allowed happen in our life. You have to trust in God over everything. And if you'll do that, the life that you will have will be better than any life that you live where fear has has directed you. When we trust God's call, it doesn't matter what happens to us. Let me tell you something, folks. I love my children. I would do anything for them. I wouldn't even have to think if it, was, it came down between me and them. And before we answered God's call to the foreign field, my biggest worry as a dad was, what about my kids? And yes, we're going to a first world country, but it, that doesn't make any difference about how a dad feels, what a dad thinks about. But you know what? If the worst were to happen... If my kids were taken from me because of what I'm doing, what really matters is my serving the Lord. Because if I'm doing right and I'm sharing the, the gospel of Jesus Christ with my kids, I'm telling them what's important, I'm telling them to trust God, then they're going to make it right with the Lord. And if something happens to them, God forbid, they're going to be taken care of. And, you know, at the end of the day, my children are not my own. They are his creation. What we do is we put so many barriers in our path, so many things in our path, so that we don't really have to do or stretch out for the Lord. And we've got to stop that. We've got to confess that. We've got to repent of the fear in our life because we've made fear master and not God. And if you are like that today, this morning, I pray that you would confess your sin and get right with the Lord before you leave here today. Number one, trust not in man's understanding, trust in God's call, secondly. And then thirdly, trust in God's knowledge. Now, something wonderful happens here in verse 14. So we've had the demonstration, we've had the pleading, Paul has responded, and then they do the most wise thing. Verse 14, and when he would not be persuaded, we ceased 
saying, the will of the Lord be done. At the end of the day, Paul's friends relented and they yielded to the will of God. And there's great wisdom here. Whenever in doubt, trust God. Whenever in doubt, trust his control, his power, his wisdom and might. Trust in the Lord. You know, so many of us, let me, ask you, let me say, parents, you're in a church that is passionate about missions. And if you are passionate about giving to missions and seeing the world reached, it's going to spill over to your kids. And one day when your children come to you and say, Mom, Dad, God is calling me to take the gospel to the, to, to the Middle East. And he says, or she says, I'm willing to die so that people over there can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to be tempted to impose your will, fueled by your fear, about what you think your kids should do. And if we're raising the next generation of Christians, we've got to be willing not only to, let, to not let fear reign us, but not to let our fear control what God is doing in other people's lives. You ought to, let me tell you something, if, if your child comes to you and says, I want to start this ministry or that ministry, or I want to go on the foreign field and, and do missions, you get on your knees and you praise the holy God that he has called them to that. And you be supportive But even if you don't want to do that, even if you are scared like I am, get on your knees and say, God, you're God and I'm not. And I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to let your will be done. In spite of my fears, in spite of my worries, I'm going to let you be in control. Fear is the most destructive weapon in the work of the gospel. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but think about it. How many of you, when y'all have your um, missions revival, do you think, boy, I hope God doesn't call me? I've been there. You're like, I hope that God didn't call me here. I'll go anywhere but here. I'll go anywhere but there. And I'm going to tell you something. I, I met a man one time who told me, that he was supposed to be in the ministry, but he, had, he said, he told no to God so many times that God stopped. And 50 years later, that was the biggest regret in his life. His life had, had done nothing that it, he, he told me these words, it's done nothing that it could, it could have done. And he said, I didn't do it. I didn't answer that call because I was afraid of what might happen. If you let it, fear will destroy your plans. It will destroy God's plans in your life. Fear must never be allowed to interfere with God's plans for you. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If you are a child of God today, you have the Holy Spirit living within you, which means you, have a, you are tapped into the power of God, and you can overcome everything in him And through that power, cast out fear. He's also given you love, compassion for the world. He's also given you a sound mind to know what is right to do and what not to do. And in the light of God's call, every single one of us can conquer those little and medium-sized and supersized 
uh, fears. And we can then be allowed to be used by God for who knows how. Imagine if we were all really sold out to the Lord in our finances, in our marriages, in our personal lives, on our jobs. We were sold out and fearless for the Lord. I don't think our country would be in the situation that it's in now. I don't think uh, the world would be in the situation that it is now. It, it took Ashley and I time and prayer uh, to overcome fear in our life. And I still work on it every day. I still work on it. You know what comes into my mind is, what, still, what's going to happen to your kids? What's gonna happen, are they going to be okay in school? Are, they gonna, are people going to be mean to them? Are they going to do this? And, and if I let it, the anxiety just will just cloud up and rain on me. And, it's, and fear is not something that you, you, you kill and it stays dead. You have to, you have to slay it every day like, like killing sin. You have to kill sin every day or it will overcome you. Same thing of fear. And I believe that the wrong kind of fear is sin. And if we'll let it, fear will rule us. But what will really rule us is our sin. And that can't ever happen as a Christian, as a child of God. You want to be used? Pray today that God will overcome your fear. Pray today that, you, that God would, would call you to great and mighty things and you would answer. As we stand, I want to say one more thing. And I'll pass it over to Pastor as we stand. Uh, many of you might be in this building today and you, wo- you worry and you wonder, is this God that we talk about real? Will he really save me from myself if I trust him? You know, it is said that we relate to God however we related to our earthly father. And maybe you had a terrible dad, and you just don't trust God. And you're afraid that what we say from the pulpit and from Sunday school classes is not true. And you're afraid that if you step out, he won't really be who he really is. Let me tell you something. The best thing you could ever do is to cast out that fear this morning. Come down these aisles, pray to the Lord. Confess your sin, accept him as your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then, and only then, can you truly live a fearless life. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.